The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The truth is that we are in a climate emergency. We have less than 10 years to make substantial changes to our society and way of life and our economy. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. Those who have never fought for the colours, they fly. Should be careful about criticising those who have. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, in today's programme, we have a special look at primary care in the UK. This is the week that the Health Secretary, Sajid Javid, published a blueprint for GPs in England that will be given an extra £250 million to improve their services, but only if they increase the number of patients that they see face-to-face. Those that do not provide appropriate levels of face-to-face care will be excluded and GP surgeries could be named and shamed for failing to deliver in-person appointments. Well, Jeremy Hunt, the former Health Secretary and Chairman of the Commons Health Committee, attacked the plans, saying they'll put pressure on a burnt-out workforce. About 80% of GP appointments were face-to-face before the pandemic, but those numbers dropped during lockdown are still only back to 58%. Well, the plan has faced immediate backlash from the British Medical Association. And I'm pleased to say that joining us this morning is Dr. Farah Jamil, who sits on the BMA's GP executive team. Welcome to the programme, Dr. Jamil. Thank you for inviting me along. Now, patients do want more in-person visits. Why not reopen to pre-pandemic levels in surgeries? Yeah, that's a really good question, isn't it? Um, I think what seems not to come across is that the total number of appointments have gone up. So we are absolutely dealing with far more contact than we ever have done in a pre-pandemic environment, for instance. And and just a cursory look at some of the stats, if we just look at June, July, August, over 75 million appointments were delivered. Uh, that's, that, you know, that's over six, the population of, the, of England is 61 mm. million. So we've, we've seen the country and a little bit more in the space of three months in 2021. And 43 million of that, three quarters of the population, were face to face. And that's where we've got the total number of GPs falling. So we have delivered more appointments than pre-pandemic with fewer doctors. And we've seen the whole country's population in the space of three months. So... In that context, I think, you know, making a binary argument of why you're not back at 80% is, is, is somewhat lost, isn't it? Because how much more can we work with, with such few staff? Yeah. And t- talking of staffing, one of the things that the government wants GPs to do with this extra funding is to take on um, locum doctors. What do you make of the, of the funding package? Is this, is this helpful? Is it enough? I think... As a headline, obviously, it grabs people's attention. It's a significant sum of money. Um, But no pots of gold can magic doctors out of thin air. And as I was just articulating there, there are just no doctors. The total number of doctors are falling. We are working under an incredible amount of pressure at an incredible pace. 
And I'll be very honest with you, like there's literally, I'm, you know, we're all on empty. I'm on empty. There's nothing left to give. So they can throw pots of gold, but actually there's, there's no staff to recruit. There just isn't. And so really what we need to be looking at is how we find a way to alleviate some of the pressures that the current day general practice are, are facing. So a lot of the bureaucratic measures, a lot of the metrics, a lot of the red tape that we're getting bogged down in needs to go. And that's not in this plan. It's the wrong plan. It's com- it completely fails to understand and acknowledge that there is a real problem right now. It showcases mm-hmm. a government that's completely out of touch with the realities of what general practice is facing. Yeah, the government offering some £250 million of extra funding. Well, um, in terms of, you know, solving this issue, I mean, there are shortages of workers now in the UK um, in many industries. Partly it's Brexit, partly it's the pandemic. Why are we not seeing more young doctors going um, into general practice? Uh, You know, what's the kind of pipeline? And I'll ask you that. That's obviously a long term question, but there's also the short term issue. I mean, just look at the media in the last few months. I mean, we've just been completely decimated. Our morale has been taken right down to the ground. And the government's response was to do more of that with the proposal that they put forward yesterday. On one hand, we had a thank you uh, from the Secretary of State, followed by a plan which sought to penalise doctors for keeping the show on the road and keeping general practice open, seeing the country's population and more in the space of three months. And and for that, we've, we've received even more criticism. League tables is what's been reported for poorly performing practices. Not understanding what's actually happening on the ground. Why are people leaving? Why does general practice not attract a workforce anymore? Because we're not being treated with the respect, with the with the support that we need to deliver a good service. And and I just want to add, in the context of that, what Mm -hmm. we still have is a patient satisfaction rate of 83%. So through the pandemic, in July, we had the patient satisfaction survey, which reported that 83% had a good overall experience of general practice. 82% were satisfied with the appointments they were offered. And 96% say they have confidence and trust in the healthcare professional they saw. I mean, these are important numbers not to lose sight of. So we've got government who seems to be saying one thing and believing one thing based on some sectors of the media reporting stories. I understand the challenge that patients are having. I am facing that in my surgery. My my colleagues are having to deal with that on a daily basis. We are doing our absolute best, but there are no more hours in the day for us to continue working at this pace. They just aren't. And so there needs to be a complete recognition from government about how we reframe, reset and recalibrate and provide safe services. Do you think there's there's any truth in criticism that some GPs are are, are not seeing, not doing enough face to face appointments? From the stats and the numbers that I'm looking at, I, I cannot back that up. But I think if there is any inclination or suggestion that there are colleagues out there who are not pulling their weight, which I do not believe for a second, but if there is any inclination that that is the case, then I would want to address that myself. You know, I would want to make sure that that is not happening because as a profession, we are principled, we are there for our patients. No one goes into work not wanting to do a good job. That's why we are working as hard as we are. And that's why 75 million consultations did take place over the space of three months. 
Is there an issue um, with how many doctors are in different parts of the country? Um, you know, there are also figures around um, different areas, that some areas it is much harder to get, um, you know, attention from, from general pr- practitioners than perhaps it is in other parts of the country, that it's a postcode lottery in short. What would you say to that? So, absolutely. I mean, all the figures uh, tell us that there are there are uh, pro- there are areas around the country where there are fewer doctors, fewer GPs uh, per thousand patients. We know we're just under two thousand GPs short of where we need to be. We have the lowest number of GPs um, compared to any other uh, European country. So, we we know we've got a workforce problem. That's not new, uh, but it's getting worse. It's getting worse because the people who are they're holding the fort, are being abused, are being demoralized, are being treated with such disdain, contempt and arrogance. Um, and, and the government is, is, is doing that. You know, it's their inaction that's led to this. It's a chronic underfunding of one general practice, but the whole of the NHS, which is now presenting with difficulties with patients struggling to find appointments and and that's that's on government that's on their watch it's the wrong plan and can i just say this it's a short-term plan and it's not going to work as it's been met with not just negative reception from the bma general practice all around the country has erupted overnight uh, since it launched uh day before yesterday at midnight so um it's the wrong plan. It's not going to work. And what's next? And I cannot see what's next. There's clearly no long-term plan. But when this doesn't well, work... Well, but what about the social winter, care levy? Because we're about to hit the highest level of, of taxes um, in, in decades in the UK. Partly that's to go towards, we're told, the NHS and social care. Does that give you any hope? I'd like to see how that will start to make a difference in terms of what services patients can access. But at the moment, everything I'm hearing, everything I'm seeing on the ground is full list of services that can like, are exploding under so much pressure. There is no more capacity to take on anymore. Um, and that is a result of a, of a long-term underfunding of the NHS. What are the positive things that can be done to make general practice uh, a more attractive destination for, for, for young doctors? So I can, I can talk about me. I am 38. I have a long time to give to the NHS and to general practice. But you can sense perhaps some of my disappointment in my voice. The way I'm being treated, the way I'm being expected to perform and continually perform without any recognition of how hard we have all worked as a profession over the last 18 months, at significant personal costs. So I think we need to start with a good old look at what the profession has done and thank them. Thank them, value them, and then talk to us. So talk to the BMA, talk to the college, talk to us about what support can look like and how to build back the profession better. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com. Well, let's get back to the subject of our special programme today, how to improve primary care in the NHS. Later in the show, we'll speak to NHS providers, the membership organisation for hospitals and community services that treat patients. But first, let's get the perspective of Dr. Gary Howsam, who's vice chair of the Royal College of General Practitioners, and also a practising GP in Cambridgeshire. Uh, welcome to Bloomberg Westminster. Gary, just give us a perspective of what it's been like running a GP surgery over these past 18 months. It's been incredibly busy for us over the last 18 months and GPs and indeed our whole practice teams have been stretched beyond endurance. Um, we know all around the country that we're delivering care to a growing number of patients. They've got increasingly complex health needs um, and we've been under intense workload and workforce pressures for some time, which were only exacerbated by the pandemic. And at the moment, we're also delivering the flu vaccination programme, the COVID-19 booster programme and gearing up for an extremely challenging winter ahead. So it's just busy all round. The government and others um, say, and they have said this week, that some GPs have been slow to return to -to face-to-face appointments. The kind of implication that one could take from this is that GPs aren't delivering um, the the best quality of care or that that perhaps um, the lack of uh, fewer face-to-face appointments means a worsening of care. Do you recognise any of that? Well, you're absolutely right that the criticism we've been facing at the moment is mostly about access to services. And and that's a direct result of an underfunded and understaffed general practice service. Um, And we simply don't have the capacity to cope with a growing number of patients that need care. With regards to the narrative around remote care being some standard in some way, um, that's just causing unnecessary concern for our patients. We know that good care can be delivered remotely and that, in fact, many people actually prefer this way of receiving their care because it makes services more accessible to them. Um, Once the pandemic's over at the Royal College, we've always said that we think it should be a blended approach to the way care is offered, both remote and face-to-face where needed and where that adds clinical value. Um, And that should be a decision that's made between the doctor and the patient. And do you think GPs currently offer enough flexibility over face-to-face or phone appointments or perhaps... Uh, video consultations are there enough uh, options chosen for chosen by the patient I think so and I think it's going to vary in each practice and depending on the population that you're you're looking after at my practice we've been doing total telephone triage for a number of years and it means that having spoken to one of the GPs we can direct patients to the most appropriate member of our team our teams are increasingly made up by a number of different healthcare professionals so I work alongside pharmacists, physiotherapists, advanced nurse practitioners, and it's really important that we get people, patients in front of the right healthcare professional at the right time, because that means we can help most people in the most appropriate way. What did you make of the blueprint announced this week by the Health Secretary, Sajid Javid? £250 million extra to improve services. But the flip side of it was if GPs aren't giving enough face-to-face appointments, they would be sort of named and shamed or punished in another way. Well, I mean, funding for patient care in general practice is is always welcome and £250 million is not an insignificant amount of money. But we've been waiting for this rescue package for a long time and it's just just the tip of the iceberg of the things that that need to be done. I mean, the focus was mainly around access and and that totally ignored the other major issues that are facing general practice at the moment, which are predominantly around our, our workforce. As I've said already, workloads escalating and GP numbers are falling. The government promised us 6,000 more GPs and 26,000 other members of the practice team by 2024, but we're simply not on track for that being delivered. 
Are things worse in general practice than in other parts of the NHS? Clearly, if you've been working on A&E wards, it's been a, a, a pretty traumatic uh, period of time, I, I would imagine. How, how do things compare with the, the rest of the NHS? I think the whole of the NHS is stressed and the staff in all departments, wherever they work in the NHS, have stood up and addressed the challenges of the pandemic in a phenomenal way. And general practice has played an incredibly important part, most recently in the COVID vaccine rollout, which has allowed us a degree of protection against the killer virus. Uh, we were just speaking to the British Medical Association um, and Dr. Jamil, who we spoke to, was very powerful in in how angry she sounded and frustrated at the lack of um, sort of respect that doctors are getting at the moment, both um, you know from government, but also from the media. She was quite critical of, too. Are you frustrated with that also? Do you feel um, undervalued? And, and is that a problem that government needs to address? I think it is very demoralising and it's disappointing to see some of the reporting and some of the stuff in the media. A lot of it's been inaccurate. Some of it has been really quite offensive. And I think the thing that worries me most as a family doctor is that it drives a wedge between us and our patients. Doctors and patients are on the same side. We all want to achieve the same thing, which is high quality, safe care for our population and anything that detracts from that is, is really disappointing and we know that GPs are, are leaving the profession just simply because the amount of negative press that we're getting um, which in a cumulative way just chips away and people are getting to the point where they're just turning their back on the profession and we can't afford to lose any more GPs we've seen a reduction in 601 full-time equivalents over the last two years and over the last six years about 1300 GPs less than we had and the population's going up, healthcare needs are going up and it just means that we're under more and more pressure so it's not good for anyone when the um, press we get is the way it has been. Dr Gary Housen, thank you so much for being with us, uh, Vice Chair of the Royal College of GPs, also practising GP in Cambridgeshire. Thank you so much for your time. Well, joining us now is Adam Brimelow, who is Director of Communications at NHS Providers, which takes part in the negotiations actually between NHS Hospital Trusts and the Department of Health. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. And, and you were listening into that conversation um, that we were having with the Royal College there. Now, the relationship between government and GPs looks to be going really quite badly wrong. What has happened? Yeah, well, thank you. Just to clarify, we're the membership organisation mm. for NHS trusts and foundation trusts. And so we speak up for uh, broadly the secondary care sector, but we have obviously very close working relations with our primary care colleagues. And we have spoken out alongside the Royal College of GPs in terms of defending the uh, incredible work of GPs and their primary care colleagues over the course of the pandemic and in delivering the vaccination programme and the continuing efforts to, to support patients at a time of continuing great challenge for the National Health Service. Does the, does the, does the model work that GPs are, are, the, are, the, are the kind of get, the gate holders the, the, to secondary care? Uh, I know a lot of people feel that uh, it's quite difficult to access NHS services and they have struggles to get an appointment with their GP, then they don't feel they're referred quickly enough uh, onto uh, providers. Is there something more fundamental we can, we can do to, to fix the system? 
Well, um, I suppose, as I say, as a membership organisation for secondary care organisations, I, I don't think it, it sort of sits with us to, to sort of develop uh, models for, for the way the primary care, the GP system operates. I think we, what we can usefully focus on is making sure that we work more closely in partnership with our primary care colleagues. And in fact, that model is being uh, developed under changes that are happening within the health and care landscape at the moment with closer partnership working between different branches of the National Health Service and social care between secondary and primary care. And that's very much going with the grain of changes that are happening on the ground and mm. with government legislation that's going through Parliament at the moment. So I think I think there's that intention to to make the model work as effectively as it can. And I think there's a consensus around the need for different parts of the system to work effectively together. Um, NHS Providers has also called for a fully costed workforce plan in the government spending review that comes later this month. One of the issues with GPs um, that they uh, have pointed to firmly is the lack of GPs uh, and indeed, you know, vacancies for nurses and and other types of specialists. Um, What are the chances do you think that you are going to actually get that fully costed workforce plan, a a real plan perhaps to address some of these issues? What do you think the chances are of getting that from government? Well, um, we certainly, you're right, we we think that that is absolutely imperative. I think that workforce shortages probably when you speak to trust leaders, that's the number one concern. And we've had... uh, a really severe workforce problem going into the pandemic. Of course, we've seen the incredible response of NHS frontline staff during the pandemic. Um, it's been an amazing effort. And, and staff really want to make sure that they can provide the very best possible care for patients. There is an opportunity coming up now with the comprehensive spending review to at long last clarify how the workforce planning for the future to provide for a sustainable uh, NHS can be put into effect rather than operating on a sort of piecemeal uh, uh, sort of working it away, working and making it up as you go along type of process, which unfortunately has tended to be the way things have operated. The spending review is a real moment to put down a marker to map out what the needs are to set in place a system of evaluating progress as we go along and making sure we have the right numbers of people with the right skills for the changing needs in our society. Just briefly, how ready is the NHS for this winter? I think the the answer to that is difficult because there are some, some, to use that that, um, that awful phrase, sort of known unknowns. So we, we don't know what is going to happen with COVID. Uh, of course, we hope that infections will come down. They're currently at a, they're not at anything like as high as they were, but they are significantly higher and they are placing significant pressures. We know yes. that also there's the risk of flu uh, coming into play. Uh, so that's another worry. And yep. so, um, you know, there's, a, there's enormous pressure on the service. It could get a lot worse. And many people think that this could be the most challenging winter for the NHS has ever experienced. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.